Welcome to Bound for Justice, your weekly podcast that explores race, reconciliation, and social justice, one book at a time. Join us for a candid discussion about taking steps to create change in our lives and the communities we live in. And now your hosts, Rachel Rosman and Charlotte Wilson. Welcome back to another edition of Bound for Justice. I'm Charlotte Wilson. I'm Rachel Rosman. And I'm Sharissa Foley. So nice to see you all again. Likewise. Good to be back. (laughs) So it's always nice to check in. We always do a little check in here at the beginning of the podcast to see how everybody's doing. Any uh, fun experiences or new things that um, anybody? I do have one, actually. The other day, um, with my job, we had to go on the bus to this big convocation that we had. I think we talked about it Mm -hmm. before. And when we were on it, I forgot to bring this up earlier, um, there was a person behind me who said, can I touch your hair? What oh do you, my what gosh, do you put in your no. hair? Can I touch wow. it? <laughs> and I really felt like I belonged. Then. I was like, now I can really You've relate had to the, the experience. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and um, well, did you let them touch your hair? I did, but the issue was my hair was still wet, so I, I did. The, I'm really sorry. Like my hair's wet. Don't. It was it, in that. It was in the wet stage because you know there's different stages. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The drying. And process. the wet stage always looks the best because it's not like fuzzed out. So I'm always like, don't touch it that much because <laughs> you're gonna mess it, it up. Yeah, you're mess, mess up my curl pattern. pattern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're, gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, yeah. You'll like pull all the moisture under your hands, and then, but um, it turned into kind of a joke because he said, "What do you put in it?" And the girl beside me was like, "Water." What do you think? And um, and it, there, it was wet at the time actually, so it applied. But um, but then I said, "What product I used?" And I felt like we all really bonded over that. <laughs> so connecting through hair, curly yeah, hair, right? Curly hair, curly Very connections. Nice. Very nice. Curly connections. Very I like that. That could That's be a new blog. It's a new podcast for yes, sure. Now we'll do for that. Sure. I mean, curly you know. connections. We could have a whole, whole new segment on the podcast. Curly connections. There. So many things we could talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the book that we are discussing this week is Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? And Other Conversations About Race. Uh, and this book is written by Beverly Danielle Tatum. And this book is actually, um, I think the version that we're reading is maybe the second or third edition. It's yes. been out for quite a while. Yes. Um, and Teresa, this is the book that you selected. Yes, I actually um, had picked this book up from the library years ago. And I'm one of those people that starts a book and never finishes it. So this podcast and reading all those books is a real stretch for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> just to be job. honest, you know, yeah. if anybody else is out there that, that has that same issue. Um, but um, so with with doing the podcast, I thought it would be a good one to, to revisit. And to be honest, I didn't read every single word of this book. I kind of jumped around a little bit. It's a little bit lengthy, um, but it's the psychology behind, um, you know, the psychology of racism the yeah. the author is a phd um she she teaches um and she's a um she's a professor and she's actually received the highest award from the apa in, in 2014 so she really knows her stuff this book is written from a very psychological standpoint very you know academic and scholarly i learned a lot yeah she's the president this. emerita i didn't read this on the back the president emerita of spelman college yes Yes, so she, she and actually I switched back and forth between reading the book and listening to the audiobook um, hmm. during my commute and the author actually narrates the book so it was really cool to hear her perspective and hear her I'm if you guys have been listening in the past I like the audiobooks and doing both audio and and actually reading the the physical book works really well for me so mm-hmm. it was really cool to hear in her own voice you know um, how 
how she read the book and, and what she shared. Um, but, you know, you walk into a racially mixed high school or middle school and you'll see the black kids, the white kids, the Latino youth all clustered in, in different um, areas at, at the cafeteria, at the table. So um, is this self-segregation a problem? Um, and is it something that we need to address or is it a coping strategy? You know, those are kind of the things that that. Um, Tatum talks about in the book, and I feel like the timing of this is really good because we're at the beginning of a new school year, um, and I think there's a lot of things that educators could really gain from reading this book. Um, it could give them, you know, a new perspective on how to approach and interact with students, um, or what they focus on in terms of how they encourage students to interact with each other. So I just have to ta- ask you guys. I mean, we all have kids that are of you know the middle school age range, or or really close to that. Did you guys? Talk, did they, was there anything in this book while you were reading it that made you want to go back and ask your kids questions? Yes, absolutely. I, I asked them a few things, and I got kind of the deer in headlights at mm-hmm. first <laughs> when I asked them a few things because I just wanted to see where they were at um, because I feel like a lot of my personal um, experience growing up being multiracial, um, I feel like there's a lot of that that they may or may not experience. So I kind of wanted to gauge where they were at with mm-hmm. it. So, so, yeah. How about you? Yeah, I was trying to, like, think back to my own personal experiences, and some things I was just like, I don't know. Like, I don't remember. I do not remember a lot about the cafeteria in high school, to be honest with you. Um, but I do I do remember the self-segregation in college. Hmm. We absolutely had a black section of the union hmm. in college. And some people called it the Coonion. Oh, I'm wow. I'm not kidding you. Yes, I see wow. the the look on your face. Oh yes, where'd you I, go? <clears throat> oh, same don't... place you went. Okay, okay, okay. yeah, yep. all right, <laughs> okay, yep. I'm like, where'd you go? Just sign it to me. <laughs> <laughs> same place you went. Um. Yeah. So, but I remember that was the first time I think I really, oh, and maybe it was because I was actually thinking about and interested mm-hmm. in and being more connected into my blackness. Yeah. Um, that was really the first time that I think I felt like I started to maybe think about that and I decide I mean I'd I'd sit in the black section sometimes but I never really felt like I was like in well that the book talks about you know the different stages of your racial awareness there are like different steps and and depending on your personal experience you may be at one certain stage earlier in life or later in life it just kind of depends so there's different levels and stages of of your racial awareness Mm -hmm. um and actually chapter four really starts to get to the heart of the subject of the book and the author explains that our self-perceptions are shaped and reinforced by the messages that we receive around us Um, and there's an example that she gives of her seven-year-old son and how he would describe himself um, he would always say that he was tall. He would never say, I'm, I'm black. I'm, he would always say, I'm tall. And, and the reason why he would always ex- um, describe himself as being tall is because that a lot of times when adults would be introduced to him, they would always say, oh, wow, you're really tall for your age. And so he heard that over and over again. So the fact that he was tall was very much reinforced to him. And that's how he perceived himself to be. And that's how he described himself as being tall. So that reinforcement can work in the positive and mm-hmm. in the negative, And it can change over time. 
Um, so um, what are some of the messages maybe you've received or can you relate to or share how your self-perceptions have changed over time and what perhaps made them change? Um, I have, when I had to reflect on this after, you know, thinking about that, I always introduce myself in in comparison to somebody else. Like you, I always compare myself with my family. Like I'm Rachel, you know, my brother, whoever, or mm-hmm. because when I always started talking, I'd be like, my name's Rachel Rosman. And they're, oh, a Rosman. So are you related to? And so I always had that as my in, like I never really, like I, like you don't, I don't give you any reason to have to talk to me, but yeah, you know my brother and mm. he's cool. So, so you have to <laughs> yeah. listen to me now. Yeah. And so I've always kind of used that as, I don't know, maybe more of a crutch. Like that's how I'm accepted by people or that's how I introduce myself. So that way I've, I've earned your trust. Now you can talk to me. But then coming to a bigger city, it doesn't apply as much. Mm-hmm, right. I still use it because if I go somewhere where people do know my family, I'll be like, ah, uh, you know, I'm whoever's whoever's sister. <laughs> you should, um, you know me. Or but then I'll say like, I'm his sister, but I'm not really as good a thing as his he is. Like I'm trying to set him up that way. I don't like it's real. It's a real weird thing. You don't but be I let notice, down. What? <laughs> yeah, right. Like because my brother. I mean, I don't know if anybody knows him, but he's pretty awesome. <laughs> and, like, and so, um, so now I think I've, as I haven't been able to do that as much, I've kind of been like, well, I'm I'm quirky. I'm I'm weird. You know, I'm that. Uh, um, so that was just always the thing because I never. Because when people would meet me, you're oh, you're so and so's daughter, you're so and so's sister, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's always just my thing. So when you said that, I was like, oh yeah, that'd be weird because when people repeat things, you know, so many times, you just start, oh yeah, that's who I am. I'm not right. really my own person. I'm right. a tall mm-hmm. person. I'm yeah. So I'm, your family ties and who in your generational family? Yeah, because yeah, I wasn't. I don't think I was ever like spectacular about like there was nothing that really stood out to me or you stood about, out about like me. You didn't play a specific sport or you were known for being right. a member of the band or I was like very that. much like just the... I can relate to that because mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of four. So I'm always so-and-so's little sister. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so-and-so. Oh, yeah, they did this great thing. Yeah, you're so-and-so's. So I was never, hi, Sharissa, how are you? It was like, oh, it's little Wade. Oh, <laughs> you're so little Wade. So, you're so and so sister. <laughs> so. Well, and that is true though. Like I get the the family identity part of it because I do think that that probably played a big part in our family. Yeah. Um, because we came from a a family that uh, of uh, our dad was a minister. Yeah. People knew that, and um, he was. Fairly, I think he was fairly well known. I think he was pr- yeah. pretty popular in high school. Yeah, through yeah, so, and even like that. our grandfather was very well yes. known in the community. Yeah, so very established at the YMCA. So you had that too. It's like, yeah. do you think it was more of a small community thing? Like because I wouldn't, Could if I would have grown yeah. up in Columbus or something, like yeah. nobody would have ever been the same. Yeah, yeah. So even. I think it was just that, like I never had anything thrown at me when I was right. a kid, and I was always the one that flew under the radar. So, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is kind of a hard. It's, for me, this is a hard question because I always felt like, I don't know, I made my own. I guess I feel I felt different. I felt like I did kind of make up my own thing and just decided this is who I am. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I have I do not have a good answer for this question. <laughs> That's okay. We can keep going. <laughs> well, there's lots of other great things to talk about, though. So <laughs> the next question, you're going to nail it. Oh yeah, <laughs> bring it on. Um, so one of the things that Tatum <clears throat> talks about in her book, as she, you know, she's a professor and she is teaching on the psychology of racism. And one thing that she shared in the book was that she always asks her students what their earliest race-related memory is. 
And um, her students would answer with a variety of ages and experiences. And that kind of had me thinking about my own. So I wondered what yours might be. So can you share what your earliest race-related memory might be? I'll take this one, ladies. <laughs> um, well, so it's interesting because there were a couple that popped into my head, but I've, I've definitely ref- obviously reflected on this question in the past. And the one that most consistently comes to me is a memory. And it's one of those, you know, you have like those snapshot memories, mm-hmm. like they're just like tiny little like, you know, blips of, of flashes of things. Yep. Um, it was from kindergarten. Oh, and wow. I don't know if it was maybe it was it was early, like the first couple of days or first first few weeks of kindergarten, because and this was kindergarten in Oklahoma, oh. which I was only at for a couple of weeks before we moved back to Ohio. And I can remember this little girl getting in my face and screaming at me and telling me that my I'm ugly and my hair is ugly. <gasps> wow. It was just funny that you brought up hair. She, and and she never said you're black and you're ugly. I don't ever remember. That's not part of my memory, but I remember very clearly intimating from everything that she said to me that she was telling me I was ugly because I was black. Wow. And I think it's probably just because she said your hair is ugly and my hair had, I had put my hair, I think mom mom put my hair down that day. Yeah. Um, so it was, and it was um, not straightened or anything. So it was just natural. Um, wow. Yeah, Kindergarten. Oh yeah, wow. for sure. That's crazy. M- mine wasn't until sixth grade. So, oh. I mean, our... Our experiences, even though we're from the same family, we're sisters, our experiences are a lot different. Yeah, Mm. so my first um, race-related memory was in sixth grade. There was a a girl in my class who was black, and she um, accused me of wanting to be white because Mm. I talked white and I sounded white. A lot of my friends were white, and she goes, well, you're mixed, but you just really want to be white. And I was like, no, I'm not wanting to be white i i am who i am i'm black and i'm white but i am me more than anything and i can remember going home and i was so um the 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 confrontation struck me so much that i wrote a whole little essay i don't know if i still have it i've been looking for it Mm. for the last couple of years um but i wrote a whole essay about i'm not black i'm not white i am me and so that's my earliest memory of race but that wasn't until sixth grade so like 12 you know 11 12 years old that was the first time I really had any kind of that I can remember having a, a run-in with or a race related something that really jarred me wow so that's interesting that our experiences even within the same family yeah. are so drastically different so what about you Rachel do you have any what's your earliest race related memory do you have one I I don't <laughs> um <laughs> Or when did you know you were white, Rachel? (laughs) I really had to think this one through because I can't even think of a time. Like, I never remember when it would have occurred to me that there were different different races. And I really tried to think back on this because, um, like, I know that my dad had a black friend. And also my dad was very much like... Like my my dad was very big on not judging people and everybody being equal, and I had like the entire Sydney Poitier VHS collection, like <laughs> to serve with love. Guess who's coming to dinner? You know, we watched them all, and and my dad like was really big on this, um, and so I always had this idea that that everybody was equal. You know, I didn't have any black friends, but they were they were good. If I brought them home, they were just as good as any other friend, like, <laughs> like um, because that was not always like our town wasn't always open-minded about Mm -hmm, things like there mm -hmm. were we had we did know people who weren't as open about stuff Mm. and so one memory that I did has have as I was thinking back to this is um 
we had a Super Bowl party one year and it was this big my parents always had these big parties and we had a big TV and it was this whole thing and something happened I don't remember how old I was and it's it's almost like this is one of those memories that you've rethought it so many times where you're like you know did what it, really did happened that, did, yeah, yeah did it happen how did this even this like I've heard it and I know it was a big deal for a while but then I I don't know anyhow something happened during the Super Bowl or the game and the person that was there yelled at the TV and yelled the N-word and mm. threw their beer can and it hit the TV oh, oh, wow. and came down. And I remember that it was just like, like, like the thing coming <laughs> off the record. Like, yeah, like everybody stopped. Yeah. Froze. <laughs> like time froze. And then my dad, from the story that I remember, my dad had asked that person to leave. Like they were not allowed to be at our house anymore. And I know, like I remember who the person was and I have held that like in my mind ever since. So every time I would see that person, I'd be like, oh, that's right. This is that person that, <laughs> like, I guess in my mind, it's always like, this is that person I don't really have to try in front of because they're mm-hmm. not going to help me get anywhere anywhere in life. Mm-hmm. Like, like when you're trying to really impress people because you're like, I don't want to burn this bridge. That wasn't a person. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, I can burn that bridge. That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> um, and so it was just kind of, that was the first time where um, race became a huge issue, I guess, yeah. where you really saw that it wasn't as maybe rosy as... And what age was that? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I mean, I was... I'm trying to think. I know which house we lived in, so it was probably like eight or nine, maybe. Okay. Wow. Um, what was yeah. the reaction, you know, when that happened? Did anybody say, hey, you know... Well, my dad had asked him to leave, and then that was the story for the whole rest of the week. Like, were oh. you guys there when this uh. guy said this? And then, you know, can you believe he did that? And he was out of line. And- so, um, but great that that was the reaction. Yeah. Because I can imagine a lot of places where that would have happened. And I'd be like, oh, ha, ha, ha. And then life goes on. Or they just right. ignore it. You know it. what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's why it was almost... I don't know, maybe that's why I, I am the way I am now, because like it wasn't accepted. And yeah. maybe because it was our house, like if it would have been at somebody else's house and it would have happened and mm-hmm. that person wouldn't have been as against it. Um, you know, maybe I would have had a different perception, but that was the first time there was really an issue with race. And then it ended very abruptly as being not OK. Mm-hmm. Um, so was it not OK because he used the N word or because he threw the beer can at the oh, TV? That's a really <laughs> good point. Extremely and egregious. I thought about yes. that, too. Yeah. And, I mean, you know. Um, <clears throat> Like it was the N word came up as the issue, but then like the TV thing that was just that the was added like, insult oh, to the injury. Oh, like, I can't even imagine because <laughs> yeah, it was. You... I don't want to. I don't want to brag, but it was one of like the original big huge TVs. <laughs> was like, it was like that's why you were having a party because oh, exactly. everybody came to see the TV. No, that is exactly it. Like my dad was like, we got to get this TV yeah. so we can have people over. <laughs> like we need more friends. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so it. I mean, but otherwise, I don't remember. I mean, I was even thinking is the first time I even realized that there were people besides white people, like maybe school when we talked about slavery. Like, I don't even yeah. know And if I mean, when if I would have had a, when I would have known somebody who was black prior to entering school. Because hmm. if that, I mean, if your experience in your community was predominantly white, when did you have the opportunity to even experience that? Mm-hmm. And, and I think in my town, it was more like I had friends who were Indian, like, but you didn't really have... I, there, we don't. Yeah. We have more of a predominantly like Indian population rather okay. than maybe not predominantly, but I would say there's more of an Indian population that was out and about more so than black hmm. that I saw. I yeah. have one other sort of. Um, I would say, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, Experience. Oh, I can't think of the word. But watershed just like one moment. of those. Yeah, maybe watershed moment or one oh. of those. Just those one of those. Um, 
experiences with race that just kind of like change the way you think about mm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one actually didn't happen until college, and it involved dating, which is you know it's kind of complicated. Um, we but, could do an entire podcast on that as well. Yes. Oh yes, we could, and it's it's probably coming. Um, <laughs> that's a great idea. I'll put on the list. Uh, but so this one, this was uh, there was a person that I met. Um, I worked at a local radio station when I was in college and high school, and there was a person, a part-time um, radio announcer that I met that was a few years older than me. Um, that's not the one you guys are thinking of. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I know who we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but this was very short-lived, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Okay. We literally went out on like a date or two. Mm, he was a few years older than me, but Those still are like relationships it. in my dating <laughs> <I know>. world. <laughs> but I appreciate that. So um, he actually lived like in Toledo, and I was going to school at the time, and in a, in a nearby school. And um, I we went out on a date, and then he was living with his parents. So we went back to his parents' house, and we were hanging out. And his mom and dad came home. And he introduced me to his parents, and um, they were very nice. And then, you know, we went on about our way. And he had asked me, it was a little, it was a little bit much, but he had asked me to go to a family wedding with him, which was kind of a lot considering that this was just a new thing. But, you know, he needed a date. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll go. Um, And I don't, you know, I, I was, I'm, you know, I was fully aware of the fact that I was black. It was not a problem. Um, <laughs> and I understood the complications of all that. I mean, that wasn't a pro- For whatever reason, I, in my mind, it just blanked. You know, maybe it was being in love or something where I just didn't. He was white. I forgot to say that. He was white. I guess you guys I assume that. <laughs> um, but a few days later, like, so we, you know, wrapped up or whatever. And I was back at school or whatever. And I didn't hear from him for a while. And I tried to call and he didn't answer me. He just didn't, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. He totally ghosted me. Yes, thank you. Before I was ghosted. And then finally. You were, you were ghosted before ghosting was cool. <laughs> and, then, and then finally he called me. Or maybe he showed up. I don't remember. I just remember the ma- aftermath. And basically said, look, we can't date anymore. Um, and you can't go to the wedding with me. Because black and my parents don't want me to do this and since I live with my parents I can't do this and for whatever reason it's not like this was a new thing to me but Mm. for whatever reason that particular experience just like just like knocked me on my butt you know what Mm. I mean I remember why now it's all coming back to me he was a Christian Uh, oh boy I'm feeling it right now yeah that's why it knocked me on my butt because because I thought that that would make a difference. That would that pers- that and would supersede. Yeah. Ooh, like I'm having feelings right now talking about it. <laughs> well, I mean, like, and that's, yeah, I remember that. That's the thing. I mean, because you expect, you know, from people of faith, you expect them to be loving and accepting and and have open arms. And and the fact that I think the way that we grew up, um, being a Christian was almost more of my identity than what my race is. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And so when you have that in common with someone, you think that that supersedes everything else. The fact that you're a Christian that that should be enough to for me to be accepted. And when you realize that that's not the case and people don't think that, that's pretty shattering. So, yeah, yeah that's a biggie. Yeah. So okay, have you thanks for letting me share. <laughs> like, have you looked him good. up to see if he's a <laughs> failure in life you. now? Well, I don't even wonder about that. So <laughs> you're I'm like really worried. <laughs> right. See, I would totally, I just want to like. Do me a favor. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. I'd want to watch their misery. That's my style. <laughs> you gave up something great. Let me see how you suffer. <laughs> Um, That's why I'm single. <laughs> so there's, so um, the the book talks about how um, one reason why you see um, kids of of 
the same race that congregate together in the cafeteria is because of shared experiences that that they have, especially regarding racial discrimination. So she gives some examples of, you know, what kinds of discrimination that adolescents may experience. And um, and sometimes the their white friends don't necessarily get it. So one of the examples could be, you know, a teacher who insists that a black student attends a school dance because, you know, quote, you people love to dance. Or another <laughs> school school staff member suggesting community college to a student of color without knowing what their academic ability is or their status. And so when when students of color share those experiences with their white counterparts, a lot of times they're like, oh, well, so-and-so, I know Mrs. or Mr. So-and-so, they didn't mean it that way. Oh, you know, you're being too sensitive. And so a lot of times, you know, students who share those experiences get dismissed. Um, and that plays a lot into and contributes, you know, to the notion of you're less than because, you know, your, your experience didn't really mean anything. And I don't think that, you know, the other white students mean to be dismissive, but it's still, it's dismissive. So have you ever encountered a, a situation where um, someone's feelings about a racial situation was dismissed? Have, have you ever discounted somebody without realizing it? Or have you been on the receiving end of, of being discounted with an experience that you've had? I think with this, this part of, um, I guess this part of the conversation, this part of my reflection is the first time that I really felt that white privilege. Like, because I tried to think back and I was like, you know, I, I bet I have dismissed somebody and not even realized it. Like, I can't think of anything in my mind. But but again, like that privilege lets it be that, you know, what, it didn't affect me. You know, I keep, keep mm-hmm. on keeping on. Mm-hmm. And then when you said, oh, so-and-so didn't mean it like that. And I totally can imagine that taking place. Like, now I'm a little bit more aware of it. Like, yeah, you know, they might not have meant it, but somebody needs to bring it up that it's not okay. Like, you can't be making this mistake again. But in the past, you don't want to ever think, or in the past, I never wanted to think that people that I liked or cared about or respected would have that attitude or mm-hmm. would be racist or, mm-hmm. or prejudiced or judgmental of somebody. And so you make it, make these excuses like, oh, well, she probably didn't mean it like that. You know, you're, you're taking it too personally because you don't want to have to knock that person off the pedestal for you. And so I think mm-hmm. it is very, very like you know self-focused in that like they didn't mean it because now that changes the way I look at things and I like both of you and so both of you just misunderstood each other so it's interesting that you bring that up so it makes me think of two things number one Rachel earlier this week you sent us this hilarious (laughs) skit (laughs) about silence but it was basically (laughs) and I was so uncomfortable (laughs) watching it like we'll we'll post a copy of the video (laughs) and it was from like what 2016 or something it was good yeah it was it's been out for a while like i saw it somebody else had it and i commented like i'm not sure if i can if i should (laughs) laugh or be uncomfortable like so we'll post a copy of it but it was really funny rachel i'm so glad you shared it but the whole basically it was a video that looked like a corporate training video about um racial sensitivity but it was a take on it in that it was around it was basically a spoof off of the whole idea of white fragility yeah where these very racist things were happening in the workplace but the whole whole video was was basically supposed to be teaching people how to make sure that they were catering to the white fragility of the co-workers yes at the expense of um of the the people of color and what i found most funny is that the the silence s-i-l-e-n 
C-E, silence, um, was actually an acronym. And the final um, E in the acronym was EAT, <laughs> yes. which is basically what happens when you feel like someone's completely dismissing how you're feeling in life. You have like, coping mechanisms yes. like eating. Um, so that's the first thing it made me think of. Um, and the second thing it made me think of, I have now forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back around. Shoot, it was so good, too. What were you talking about? Um, I was talking about how you don't want to dismiss people because they, like, they're all important oh, to you. it's back. Um, Great. So so the other thing it made me think about when you were talking about sort of very, what you were just, just um, I think, really showing us was that idea that we, we come up with this good, the whole good, bad binary. Yes. Yeah. Around yes. racism. Mm-hmm. And this idea that if you exp- display racist behaviors, you are a bad person. Right. But if we can break that and we get a ra- get get closer or more accepting the idea that we all have unconscious bias and we're all carrying a bunch of crap around. Yep. We don't have to, we can still call out bad behavior and still love that person. Mm-hmm. And we can, we can do both at the same time. It's okay. We're allowed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think we look at people as being like, they're so like, everything is so perfect about them and they're, there's really great person now. Whereas you, nobody's really perfect and you need to just let go of that, I guess. <laughs> a lot of people messed it up for all of us. Oh like, I mean, he really messed he messed it up for the world. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, but I have issues with like, can I still like this? Or I mean, do you judge if somebody does something like a famous person? Then you have to decide if you can still accept them or not, like based on their actions. Like, like how far do you let it go? Well, yeah. And yeah. a lot of times, it come, in my opinion, it comes down to voting with your pocketbook and your time and attention, right? So. Mm-hmm. Chapter seven dives into the subject of affirmative action. And I like how um, in the book, um, the author provides a complete overview of what affirmative action is and how it was established. Like, I didn't even really realize that it was um, uh, an executive order. That's how affirmative action even began. I didn't realize that. It's been... um, changed over time with other executive orders, but I didn't even realize that it it started there. Um, So that's a great thing that she included that history of it. And that plays into the general idea that there's a big misconception around what affirmative action really is. Um, and, And a lot of people think that discrimination has declined so much in America that affirmative action is no longer needed. And, you know, another thought is that, um, Affirmative action is reverse racism. So do either of you agree with those statements and why or why not? Is affirmative action no longer needed? Okay. Do you want me to take this one? <laughs> That's just... I mean, the fact that people would think that all of this, like, prejudice and, you know, racism or... Um, I can't think of the other one. Discrimination. Discrimination. There's the other one. I was like, I can't think of it right. Isn't happening... And that affirmative action is unnecessary is crazy talk to me. Like, that's so crazy because you know it's happening and you hear things that people say all the time. And you know that, I mean, there are statistics out there that certain names get put to the to the side and aren't getting interviews because of the way the name sounds. And there have been, like, literally tons of recent books written about all the discrimination that happens. And so... That whole idea is crazy talk to me. Yeah. But then I'd also um, read a book a while back about dis- about affirmative action, and he talks about how 
like white people have been doing this for a long time. We've always had that extra edge. You're like, you knew someone who knew someone and yes. it helped you get a job. You can mm-hmm. not even begin to um, count how important that is. Yeah. Right. And so they're saying like, just because somebody's getting an extra little edge because they need to have that, like, like they're not preventing somebody else. It's always people who have equal strengths or equal abilities. And it's just like trying to <clears throat> open up. Yeah. And if also you think about like the like governing bodies and everything should look like the people that they're, you know, making the rules for. And mm-hmm. so if your workplace isn't looking like the people it's working for, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. So you there should be something in play if people are not automatically going to hire, which it doesn't seem historically people have hired a right. diverse group. So so it's interesting, the. I just have to share like a challenge that I have in my head around some of this. Um, and, and I think Tatum does a really good job in the book bringing out some of those facts about mm-hmm. the the representation in America. Like what percent of Americans are, uh, you know, like a, mon- a mon- mon- uh, minority group mm-hmm. um, and the fact that it's often overestimated by white Americans, the percent of Americans that are actually minority. Um, it's fewer than you think. Um, and then the whole idea of what will that whole majority minority America look like by 2050? Mm-hmm. The estimation that many white Americans, according to the surveys that she quotes, is much higher than what what the the actual projections are. So, and part of me wonders what part the media plays in that. And so it's to me, it's like a double-edged sword because as a person of color, I want to see people on TV that represent me and look like me and make me feel like I belong here. But then I wonder, is it possible that if you have a one-dimensional view of that in your mind, if you're a non, if you're a non-minority, they're like, oh wait, look, there's, you know, it's all good, it's all good. Look, like this is what we see, you know, biracial mm-hmm. couple on the Cheerios commercial. Life right. is good, you know, which is is nice and it's good and it's important to have representation. But at the same time, I, I would hate for people to take that and in, 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 interpret it in the wrong way. And I think a lot of times that's why people think, oh, it's there's yeah, what's there's, the problem? There's no problem. We're we're all good now. That's all you in the past. President. But yeah, yeah, but don't you think that like when they had the biracial couple on Cheerios and people like boycotted Cheerios then, and that was only not very long ago, like it was a f- yeah. few years ago, right? And people legitimately boycotted Cheerios because they didn't believe that that was an acceptable family unit. Like, I think that's crazy, and the fact that that happened shows that there is still discrimination. So that's true. um, There's another concept in the book called um, aversive racism, which I think plays into it a lot. It's basically, oh, I I don't want to confront the fact that this exists. I'm just going to ignore it. Mm. And so I think that plays into it. The whole colorblind thing. Yes. Mm. Like, oh, you know, they, they may be in a situation where it's there's clearly some racial things going on but they're like oh now they just completely discount it and just ignore it mm-hmm. and so if they don't have they if they don't acknowledge that it exists then they don't have to deal with it mm. so i think that's a that's a huge part of it too um can i bring up one more thing she talks about yeah. with regard to affirmative action do you guys remember this story? so this is on page 219 um where tatum says I'm reminded of a dialogue I had with one of my white female students about affirmative mm-hmm. action. In an essay on the topic, she wrote, I am in favor of affirmative action except when it comes to my jobs. I wrote in response, which jobs have your name on them? 
Of course, she wanted to get the jobs that she applied for and did not want to lose out to anyone, especially on the basis of race, a factor over which she had no control. Yet she seemed to assume that because she wanted them, they belonged to her. So I don't know. That to me, that was just really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that, I remember that part of the book too. Yeah, I only I want I think affirmative <clears throat> affirmative action is great as long as it's not you know right. affecting me. But that's what everybody else is thinking too. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's that's interesting. Um, well, I just think it's it the interesting aspect of that is why would she think that there might not be somebody better qualified than her? Yeah. Regardless of their that's the first thing. Yeah. And then. Why would you think that a person of color couldn't be just as or more qualified mm-hmm. than you? You know, that's that's the that's the real question there is getting to the heart of why yeah. she has that thought in the first place. So there's something else that she brings up, too. Sorry, I just love You're, this book. No, I could go, go on and on. Um, <laughs> the other part that she talks about, which I, I think we've heard, all, well, some of us maybe have heard conversation about this recently with in the era of Trump. I'm sorry. It's been a while since we've said the name, but I had to bring it up. Um, <laughs> you shall not be named. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, Tatum also talks about, this is on page 214, she talks about the deep story. And she really hits at that, that mm-hmm. um, the group in America of white Americans who have been largely disenfranchised and they have no belonging and they are suffering financially, they're losing their jobs. And at the same time, you know, they um, pe- people are kind of playing on that to a certain extent. It, it's like that that pain coupled with having to face, um, you know, you're you're sort of stuck between the idea of white privilege, but you're experiencing your own financial mm-hmm. and, and um, professional pain. Like, how do you sort of figure those two things out together? Um, and then you see things like and then she she the, the deep story that she talks about is she says, um, look, you see people cutting in line ahead of you. You're following the rules. They aren't. How can they just do that? Who are they? Some are black um, through affirmative action plans pushed by federal government. They are being given preference for places and colleges and universities, apprenticeships, jobs, welfare payments and free lunches. And President Obama, how did he rise so high? And then it goes on and on, and it kind of calls out all of some of that that dialogue that we hear around, you know, you know, the the changes in America and um, the sort of the the boomerang response to that from different communities. I think that's kind of like that statement that you see. I think you see a lot more now, where it's like because you might not be, you know ahead of where you want to be in society or where you want to be but the reason you're not isn't because of your color like like people who are black were deliberately prevented from getting places because of their color whereas somebody who's white you know like you know, I'm not where I want to be or I don't might not have the job but it's not because of my whiteness it's because of some other um outlying factor like you know, my degree or my my poor job performance <laughs> or like my my I don't know like my own poor choices put me in a position more so than just my genetics. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of manipulation that occurs <clears throat> by people in positions of authority where people you have a you you may have a person who is struggling and they don't they don't quite know why and that pain I think is manipulated and they are using mm-hmm. other communities to t- sort of um, take the blame. Yeah, like because I need I need to have some sort of excuse for this. this right. Like, there this has to be an fault. explanation. We want reasons for why things are the way that they are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think it's also good to point out that affirmative action isn't just for people of color. It's also for women. You know, White women have been the, the biggest benefactors. Right. Right. So women, women do benefit from affirmative, affirmative action. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about color. Yeah, I think most people don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Good to point out. So who, who should read this book? You know, I think I, I, I mentioned in the beginning that I felt like educators <clears throat> would be, um, would gain a lot from this book. Um, and, and also parents, you mm-hmm. know, and really anyone who interacts with, with kids or youth um, and, and anyone who just wants to have a better understanding of how things are and why we are where we are today. And then um, I think, Charlotte, you mentioned earlier that um, – asking talking about to our kids about it and mm-hmm. and there's there's definitely several things that I'm like I want to check in with my kids a little bit more you know I've talked to them a little bit about it and got, got the kind of the, the deer in headlights kind of kind of <laughs> response but just presenting the idea and then maybe letting them think about it a little bit and talking about it a little bit more it, it it's definitely spurred some things as for me as a parent to to make sure that I'm talking with my kids about yeah, I checked this one out from the library, but um, after reading it, I'm like, wow, this might be a nice one to hold on to mm-hmm. and to have as a reference book to go back to over time. You can use mine for now. Oh, thank it's you. It's already um, pre-highlighted. Nice. <laughs> so I've got some good spots for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I marked. I, I loaned a book out to somebody earlier this week, and I was like, there's there's writing in it. I'm sorry. Um, if you want to know more about that, listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, I mean, I almost like how it's broken up to where you can We've had books in the past where you can kind of pick it up and read different sections, almost like a certain section. Be like, here, you know, review this. Let's yeah. get back together and talk about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Um, for different, like parents might want to read something. Teachers might want to read a different section. I mean, it's it's the whole book is useful. Yes. <laughs> I like how she uses facts and research studies and she really puts numbers to explain things, which I think is really important. I always enjoy the numbers. Yeah. Because it helps you kind of visualize and conceptualize it yes. way better. So, Okay, moving on to taking action. Rachel, you're up. Okay, I have, um, I just wanted to bring up a little talk about somebody. I went to school with a person in college, undergrad, and he has started this Coffee with the Black Guy. <laughs> oh, I've heard of that. Um, yeah, he's really, he's a cool guy. Um, I kind of keep up with <laughs> Maybe him. Maybe you told me about Probably. him. Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, really? Was it me Um, when you said that? But he lives in California. And when there was a lot of discussion about um, unarmed black men being shot and people were getting very opinionated and kind of getting riled up about stuff, he decided that the best idea was to um, just kind of get people to sit down together because maybe they weren't taking the perspective of somebody else into account. And so he started this coffee with a black guy. And I believe it's coffeewithablackguy.com. And they have like a reading list and everything. It's fantastic. But he gets together in certain towns out in California. They've got one coming up in September, which I will not be attending because (laughs) it's in California. Um, But they just kind of sit down, have coffee and chat. And it's almost like the big table that they had in Columbus. But but just about like kind of getting people to know, having people get to know each other. And um, I just thought it was cool that he took it upon himself and he's doing this. And and it seems to be working. I mean, it's getting people outside their bubble and thinking and talking and uh, a nice um, conversational way. Well, I, I like that. First of all, we should totally have him on the podcast. Um, and <laughs> I told him we were putting his show. I, okay. I warned him ahead of time. Yeah, I was well, like, just, yeah you know. we'll put his link out there. Um, and then second, you know, we've talked before about the, the idea that 
if you want to learn if you want to learn and understand about someone who's different from you that you have to be careful about the way that you do that so that you're not putting the onus on the person of color the person yes. who may be experiencing discrimination so i think it's nice when you when there's someone who is comfortable and committed to that conversation that can make that possible because it's, I don't think that's an expectation we should put on every person of color. Mm-hmm. But when there is a person of color who feels as though, I mean, just like we ha- we feel as though this is something that we want to do in a conversation we want to have. I think that's really great. I mean, just yeah. as far as taking action, just kind of look around your um, neighborhoods or your communities and see if they have different um, talks or discussions. I know Columbus Library has had um, the state of black mental health, the state of black education. Um, they've had different things throughout the last couple months. They're public, free, free public. Um, Those lessons. are great opportunities. Yeah, awesome, nice. Okay, in the news, I've got in the news for this week, um, and the story that I would like to share. This is actually a couple of months old, but um, feels like we kind of have a theme here around hair. So this <laughs> this worked out really well. Um, I wanted to share us. I'm going to share a story. This is a link out to an a CBS News story um, about um, California. Did, have you guys heard about this? About California signing a ban on hair discrimination? Mm-hmm. I did see yes. It. So back in on July 3rd of this year, California became the first state to ban discrimination against natural hair. Um, in the news story that I'll share out, the woman, one of the, the women um, featured in the story talks about how she had accepted a job um, at a workplace and then I think she had locks and they were basically like, oh no, that's not acceptable here. You can't do that, um, which is just crazy. Mm-hmm. And the, the statement in the story that I really enjoyed is that, um, you know, the, the way that my hair grows out of my head is a is an expression of my racial identity and you basically don't have a right to tell me that there's something wrong with the way right. the curl pattern of my hair um which i feel very strongly about <laughs> it's one of my passion topics um so i just um i'm excited to see that there are uh legal steps that are being made to, to ban this this type of discrimination in the workplace i know there are some uh, the military has certain uh rules about hair and so i wonder if this could be a start to maybe changing some of the the rules in the military too that'd be interesting it would be great to for that to happen to start yep okay nice all right all right so that wraps it up for this week uh next week we're going to be talking about the blood of emmett till is our book and we're so glad you were able to join us today and we want to hear your feedback regarding today's topic make sure you like comment and subscribe on social media you can also email us at boundfordjustice at gmail.com or you can even leave an old-fashioned voicemail by calling 614-450-0372 until next week bye see you guys later see you later thank you for listening to bound for justice join us next week for another conversation about creating change in our lives and the communities we live in